shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to the people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its gods. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Because on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in the striking of each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to your Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. We cry for help. And the Lord will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, and with the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday sun. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Our people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. We will be called the stairs of walls, restores the streets with dwellings, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day,
Then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When you have experienced how much God loves you, uh, that love, experience of the love of Christ, will compel you to become an agent of God's love and reconciliation in the world. Uh, that's, that's the central theme of 2 Corinthians 5 and many other places in the Bible, and it's what I want to talk to you about today. For those of you who weren't here last week, I spent the entire message trying to remind us all that our Christian faith is different because it always starts with God's love for us. Not that we have to earn that love. He loves you as you are. Remember what the Apostle John said, we love, but only because he first God first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. So you need to know this. Your walk with God always begins with an experience of, as we saw last week, grasping with our minds and knowing with our entire beings something about the mercy and the, and the grace and the love of God for you personally. And that's why when you read through the letters of the Apostle Paul, before he would ever call us, to love God more before he would ever call us, telling us how we're supposed to change our lives. He always would have this sort of prayer. I pray that you may have power to grasp and to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. I pray that you'll have power to know that and power to, to experience that love. So today I, I want you to know that when you have when you've grasped what God has said, I love you, and, and, and you're beginning to know how much God loves you in spite of all the things he knows about you and me, then that experience of, of God's love always sort of oozes out, or maybe I would say flows out into a love for God, but not only that, if you've experienced love of God, it needs to flow out into a love for people who bear the image of the God we love. So, you know, Jesus, when he was asked, uh, what is the greatest command? You know what he said, don't you? He said, here it is. Here's the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. But in Matthew 22, this next phrase, but the second is like it, he said. In other words, there's another one that's a corollary of this. When you love God, when, when his love for you has drawn you to respond by loving him, the second is going to flow out of it. It's connected to it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. It becomes very clear that everybody that he brings across our path, every human being, is a neighbor. And what Jesus is saying is that since all our human neighbors bear the image of God... The God we love, we simply must love them. I'll tell you, nobody could put that more starkly 
than the Apostle John did in 1 John chapter 4. I think I've written it up here for you just to look at it. So he started where the Christian faith always begins. We love because he first loved us. So... Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And God has given us this command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, what what Jesus was saying is this, that since our neighbors all bear the image of the God who loves us and whom we now respond to in love. We must love them because they bear his image. Uh, Now, the problem was in in, um, the days of the Bible, both the Old Testament days and New Testament days, there were people who claimed that they loved God but did not love people. I mean, you could preach for almost every book in the New Testament about, about this. Book of Ephesians, a book of James, First John. But today I want us to look at Isaiah, this text that was so powerfully brought to us today, Isaiah chapter 58. Um, God sends his preacher, Isaiah, into a group of people who were worshipers. But that love for God that was supposed to be expressed in worship was not flowing out into any love or reconciling work into their world. And I pray that as strongly as it was communicated back when it was delivered through Isaiah, that we can hear it today. So what was the problem? Here, I've written it for you. The problem was that there were people who were worshiping, but God said, no, you're rebelling. They thought they were worshiping. They claimed they were worshiping, and God said, no, 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 you aren't. You are rebelling. So it begins in verse 1, declare to my people their rebellion. Then it moves on. Day after day, they seek me out. Oh, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were people who do what is right. Why have we fasted, they say, and God, you haven't even seen it. So I'm telling you, when you just read this thing for the first time, there seems to be a contradiction between verse 1 and verse 2. Because in verse 2, he talks to people who are seeking him out. That phrase that Isaiah the preacher was using is is for people who are engaged in in the entire worship life of the people of God. In other words, these people were, were people who were going to the worship services in the temple. They were listening to scripture. They were saying prayers. They were engaging in all the spiritual disciplines, keeping a Sabbath, even fasting. Uh, so, so what we see is when, when he says, day after day, you seek me out. God is talking to people that if we put it into our day, they'd be people like most of us. They were the ones who showed up at church. And, and not just once in a while. Day by day, they do this. So they are living these lives supposedly of worship, of all these religious activities. But the shock of this text is those who are showing up and doing all the stuff that they thought this is what we're supposed to do were not the ones that Jesus called, that God calls rebelling and sinning in verse 1. It's the people who showed up were the ones who were doing the sinning. And in fact, it was so serious in verse 1 that God says, Isaiah, when you go and preach this sermon... 
You, you better take with you trumpets. You better take with you some horns because those people aren't going to listen to you. <laughs> Sometimes you ever wondered, pounding, you've heard it so many times, pounding on the pulpit. And God was saying, Isaiah, they've heard this before, but they haven't listened before. So you better take some, prof, uh, some trumpets with you or they're not going to listen at all. Now, now the issue is this, question is this. Why, why is God criticizing the people who were showing up at the temple? Why isn't he saying, Isaiah, all these people are flowing into our borders and they don't even believe in Jehovah. Uh, they're living rotten lives. Go and preach messages to them because they were. Why, why isn't God sending them with such fervency and saying, you've got to go preach to them? Or why isn't he saying, you know, there are a lot of people who claim that they are my people who never even show up for worship. You go and preach to them. And he needed to, I'm sure. But the ones who needed to hear it the most were those who actually were showing up for the worship service, even when there's been a time change. <laughs> they, they made it there on time somehow. <laughs> and God says, preacher, get yourself a trumpet and start blowing it because no matter what, they were going to say, oh, I've heard a sermon like that before. So I've just tried to ask myself the question, why is God so concerned about their sin and about their rebellion? And then as you begin to read it, you begin to see a little bit about how callous they've become. They are the ones who are accusing God. We're doing all this good stuff for you, God. We're fasting, we're showing up at church and listening to sermons and so forth, and you don't even notice. Why are we doing this, this humbling ourselves? Why are we doing this, all of this fasting? You're not giving us what we want. And God says, listen, what is happening is even though it is right for you to be here and to sing the songs and to hear the scripture and to do the things I ask you to do, there is something that is so central to true worship that you are absolutely missing. And what has happened is because you're missing this, what you're doing is just pure, dead, lifeless religion. Because when you truly worship God and experience his love for you in spite of your sin, it has to flow out of your being into a life of love and reconciliation for others. See, Dr. Mark Laberton, president right across the street at Fuller Theological Seminary, he's written a book about this. I recommend it to you. It's called The Dangerous Act of Worship. Yes, it's dangerous to be here today. <laughs> Why? Because if God is here and if we're opening his word and he says something to us and we don't respond to it, there is some danger in that. And what he says in his subtitle is living God's call to justice. And he simply says that when we truly meet God, the, the one who loves us and is ready to, to forgive us and make us right, when we leave that place of worship, we've got to engage in carrying that message and carrying the love and justice of God into the world in which he has put us. God says this, really, when we meet him in worship, what should happen is you and I should begin to see the world as God does. He changes our eyes. You and I should begin to see people as God sees people. Uh, people actually made in his image. And then he says, if, if you've experienced my love, you will begin to love them, for you will see my image in them. So the people there who were worshiping in the temple... Uh, they acted like God was the center, but their lives showed that he was not. Which brings me to an essential truth. I'll put it this way. 
love for God must flow into these ministries that we call here at Lake Avenue Church, ministries of reconciliation. And I don't know if you were listening carefully. I hope you were. Here's what it's going to look like. If you've experienced, grasped with your mind that God loves you in spite of your sin, and you've experienced, you said, thank you, Lord. How now should you have me live? He says, here, these are the kinds of things that you must be engaged in in my work. Loose the chains of injustice. Untie the cords of the yoke. Set the oppressed free. Share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And when you see the naked, clothe them. Uh, all through this year, we've been going through this guiding statement. I think it's in the worship folder yet again. We're in a, into a series of things now that are talked about the things we value, the kind of community we long to become. Um, and, and one of those things we talk about is that we want to become the kind of community that, that participates in something bigger that God is doing in this world. And that something bigger has to do with he is making everything right. It takes me back to the very first message in the series that I did. The way that we understand this word justice is in its first meaning, it's everything right. Every, sometimes it's translated that way, righteous. Because in this world, originally everything was right, but now... Since sin entered the world, everything is not right, right? <laughs> Things have gone wrong. And yet our God, who's the only thing in all of creation, of course, he's not been created. The creator is the only one who is right. Everything about him is, is, is just. And God has said, I still love the world in spite of the fact that the world, I still love you in spite of the fact that you've walked away from me and I'm ready to make you right. Uh, I'm ready to make, until eventually when I'm done. Everything, all evil will be punished. Goodness will be rewarded. All the effects of evil will be obliterated. There will be no more pain, no more death. Thank you. No more death. Um, it will all be gone. And, and now that's how we understand justice, the work of God to make all things right. But the work of reconciliation is God's worth, the processes by which God takes us from where we are and takes what's broken and starts bringing it back together, what is hostile and begins to make peace. He does that with us. Pastor Jeff, who's sitting around in the front row, it's great to see you down there, Jeff, uh, and I a few weeks ago said one part of that is our lives being made right with God, that vertical relationship where Jesus gave his life so that our sins can be cast as far as east is from the west. And we are made right with God through faith in Jesus. Hallelujah, right? Now today we see that it also must work out into the horizontal plane because in those that God has made in his image, they still bear his image in spite of the fact that their lives have been so harmed by the sin of this world and their own sin. And so he sends us out into this world to give witness to Jesus as the one through whom people can be saved. We must do that and call people to faith and to find life in him. But we must also show the love and compassion and justice of Jesus by the way we actually reach out and into their lives. What, what kinds of things are they? Well, I, I took this list and I thought, this is what God told preacher Isaiah to preach. I wonder if any of them would be the things he would say to us. What, are, what were the things that were broken back in their world that, that the people of God were supposed to be dealing with? Things like these. Um, verses 6 and 7. Helping set people free when they are shackled. Look at the phrase, verse 6. Loose the bonds 
of wickedness. Isn't that a powerful phrase? Loose the bonds that have been created by wickedness. So be engaged in setting people made in God's image free from prisons or addictions or trafficking. They had a lot of bonds of addictions back in Isaiah's day. Do you think we have any bonds of addictions here in, in Southern California? God has put us here because the power of God is great enough to set people free. And you and I know it. We've experienced it. I pray we have. What else did he say? Second, share food with hungry people. Verse 7, share your bread with the hungry. So it's really clear to me that in Isaiah's day, there were people made in God's image who were coming in to Israel who didn't have enough food to eat, and that's not right. Is the same thing true in our community? What would God say to us? Or the third phrase, get people out of homelessness. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. I'll tell you, that was especially true for, for the immigrant uh, in Israel, as it is sometimes in our neighborhood, because the, uh, listen, the, the, the social welfare system in Israel was the family Uh, They didn't have the the social systems that we have here. The family took care of the needs of people. But there were three groups of people who didn't have a family to care for them. You know what they were, don't you? Uh, Orphans, uh, children who'd been broken from their families, uh, widows, and, and immigrants who would come into the community. They had no family. They were alone. They were alienated. And God says, I love those people. They, they also bear my image. And when you see them, welcome them as well and help them. I'll tell you, when you go out and you see uh, people who don't even have a place to sleep, especially children, doesn't something inside of you say, that's not right? That's not the way God made us to live? Doesn't something inside of you say that? God says, when you have resources, do something. He goes on and says, also provide clothing for those with none. Verse 7, when you see the naked, clothe them. But especially this one too. Uh, Care for your family's needs. Do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. All right, we are to love all people. You've got to make note of this. But there is a special responsibility, a special love, a priority that is to be given by us when we see our own flesh and blood who are deeply in need. So you have to think about your extended family here. And the New Testament reaffirms this. So I can't preach as as fervently as Paul did on this. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8. Just look at what he says. Anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for his own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Dwayne, why don't we have any choruses that sing that? (laughs) Can, Can you imagine singing that? But I don't know if you feel convicted about that, but I sure do when I read it. God says that if you say you love God and you can't even do that, you are missing the main point. I've asked myself if... If I had a special visitation from God and he would just say, Pastor Greg, these are the issues in the San Gabriel Valley. I placed you and your church here to show my love and compassion to this. What would be the issues he would say that are broken? Do you think they'd be the same ones? I think he would add a few things. 
I think he might look at our public school system and say something. There are some children and students in your community that have no family support. Go out and mentor those children. I think he might say in California, there have been so many prisoners released from prison, and the only ones to welcome them are um, the drug dealers and their gang leaders. Help them to have a better community. Find ways to welcome them into your community. Uh, those who are being harmed while they're still in the womb, all the way to the grave. When you see that, you can't just, just ignore it. Be there to help. Be there to help. I, I, the list could go on and on, but it's pretty clear what God's word is asking of us as his people. So I, I've tried to summarize it. Uh, this text, other places like Jesus in Matthew 25, are declaring to us that if we do not love the poor, the hurting, the hungry, the imprisoned, the alienated, then we do not really love the God in whose image they are made. I didn't hear a single amen. This, this, is, this is just the Bible. I'm just the messenger here today. Just the messenger here today. The way we deal with people in distress and who are hurting is, is really an accurate measure of our own relationship with God, whether we've ever heard that I love you. Can, can you grasp that I've shown my love by sending my son? I've shown my love by giving my life for you. Now let that ooze back out into showing my love to others. Pass it on. And I'll tell you, it's not just an oppressive command. It is a privilege to be involved in the world in this way. It's our calling. So I put it, when God reconciles us to himself out of love, he sends us. He sends us to be a part of something bigger, to be his ambassadors of reconciliation until, at the end of verse 12, you will be called repairer of broken walls. You will be called restorer of streets now with dwellings. Uh, as I said, when God's work in this world is complete, all things will be reconciled to him and be made right. So you go back to Genesis 2. And it, it's like the world was created as God created like a fabric with these interconnected relationships. Beautiful relationship. God was walking and talking with people. And the relationships among people were so good. Uh, Adam and Eve, they had no shame. They weren't fighting with one another. And also the relationship with the rest of the created world was good. They were caring for it. It was all right. And then... The human beings walked away, rebelled against God, that fractured their relationship with God. They had to hide from him. They started fighting with one another. It's her fault. No, it's his fault. <laughs> and they were broken relationships with the rest of creation so that this beautiful fabric that God had created has become torn, no longer beautiful. But God says, I'm going to bring it back together. I love you so much, I'm ready to bring your life back together. If you'll bring me into your life through faith in Jesus, that's where it starts, right? That vertical starts with that relationship with God, and then I'm going to give you the opportunity to go out and be the ones who bear witness to Jesus and who bear witness to the love and justice of Jesus. Until, at the end of the day, this beautiful statement, you will be called um, repairer of broken walls, and restores the streets with dwellings. I'll just say this in my last few words. When, when you and I begin living life like this, 
uh, when you do something even small, uh, a word of encouragement, an act that helps a hungry person, small things, isn't there such an incredible and deep joy inside? We're no longer just living for ourselves. And we just, everything inside says, God, I see that's the way you made me to live. How do we do it? Brenda Salter McNeil, a friend of mine, has written a new book. Um, it's called Roadmap to Reconciliation. I, I really recommend you read this. Very practical, helps moving communities into unity, wholeness, and justice. It's so short, just really a short book, and just a very practical, easy book to read and gives you practical help for how to actually engage in this and some things that do more harm than good. But what it's calling us to do is to get outside of ourselves because that's the way we are to live. The Apostle Paul talked about that in this great text, Galatians 2.20. So I, once I've met Jesus, I have been crucified with Christ. So I'm not living for myself anymore. I've been crucified, with, but nevertheless, I live. Yet, yet it's not I anymore. I, I don't drive my life anymore. Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I'll tell you, not only will you find, amen, thank, thanks for the three, um, not only will you find joy and, and really uh, you're being a part of something bigger, but this is written to the community of God's people. When Lake Avenue Church more and more becomes the kind of place where we come to worship God and then we go out with the love of God, we will develop a whole different way of being viewed by this community. Because God's light will break out through us into the places of hurting and fragmentation that are all around our world. I'll end with uh, Isaiah's beautiful statement. When you live this way, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then your healing will appear. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail, you will be called repairer of broken walls. You will be called restorer of streets, now with dwellings. I've asked Pastor Myra uh, Nolan to come. She's been the one who's been called to give pastoral leadership uh, to this area of our church. It's such a significant one. Uh, she's doing it uh, so well. I've asked her to come and give a few of her perspectives on uh, this core value and also just to let you know how we as a church hope to take next steps and move forward. Myra, will you come and, and share what God has put in your heart for us? What I just heard was that reconciliation that doesn't lead to the pursuit of God's justice is not the reconciliation that God desires. Last fall, I had the opportunity to travel to the Middle East with some really close friends of mine and about 20 others, mostly pastors from Hong Kong. And um, we were in the Middle East for a couple of weeks and we got to spend a few days in, in Cairo. Um, and I w remember one day particularly well, we um, were gonna be traveling to the Makata Mountains uh, on a bus. 
So we board this big old bus and uh, we get on the road and then we stop halfway there and then we're told we have to get off of that bus and get on these smaller ones because there's no way the big one would fit down the streets of this village that we had to drive through. So we get on the, on the, on the smaller ones and we start making our way and we approach the, the village, Makatam Village, nicknamed Garbage City. And it's called that because most of the people that live in Garbage City are in some way connected to the garbage business, except they didn't always live there. Uh, They used to live in the city with all of the people like we do. Um, And they would go around to people's homes and they would collect the garbage and and they would haul these trash bags back to their homes and, and then they would empty them out and dig through them looking for anything of value, anything they could recycle, possibly even food. Of course, you can just imagine that the neighbors didn't really like that. It probably didn't smell very good. There was probably a mess. Um, So eventually it was decided that all of these people, they should just have their own village. And so they were cast to the foot of the Makatam Mountains. And what has resulted, resulted is a densely populated, materially poor community. So we're making our way up and we get there and I I start to see that the streets are lined with bundles of of recyclable materials, just stacks and rows and rows down the streets. And and I start to notice that the air is very much changing. It's smelling pretty bad. It was kind of hard to breathe. And and as we're driving by, I, I noticed a mother and her toddler digging through the garbage in their carport. I had never seen anything like that. It really shook me. Uh, But then I saw something really beautiful. I saw a cross. And then I saw another one. And another one, and and I looked around and I noticed that most of the homes and uh, apartments and businesses, they had crosses or pictures of Jesus displayed on their doorways or on their wall somewhere. And... It was so beautiful. I could even see them inside the houses because I'm telling you, these streets are so narrow that if I stick my hand out the window, I probably can have a glass of mint tea handed to me by somebody through their kitchen. (laughs) Um, It was so beautiful. And I started to wonder, what is this? What is God saying here? And you see, what's so amazing about that is that Egypt is somewhere between 80 and 90% Muslim. But here in this community of the people who are cast aside, 90% are Christians. So what is God saying? That in the midst of the rubble and the stench and, and these people, there is the cross. That image will stay with me probably forever. So we continue to make our way up, and finally we reach our destination, uh, the cave churches. Now, if you have ever been, you know what I'm talking about, but probably most had never been like I had never. And these things were incredible, these churches. I mean, imagine a church a lot larger than Lake Avenue Church built into the side of a mountain. These would be the walls of this cave. And all around, there were carvings of scenes from the Bible and cross and Christ. It was incredible. And in this beautiful place, through the rubble, (laughs) um, I met these ladies. 
And it was there that I got to share with them and talk with them. And uh, one of the younger ones actually showed me how to properly put on the headscarf or the hijab. And so we talked some more and exchanged contact information and uh, hugged a little bit. And then we were on our way. But some of my favorite memories of my trip to the Middle East are moments where God placed me in close proximity with Muslim and Christian Arab women. About a month after I got back, a Muslim married couple walked into the Inland Regional Center in San Bernardino and opened fire, killing 14 and injuring 22 other people. We had just been watching the news and we were already shaken by what was happening in Paris and now here this is happening in our own backyard, in our home, in our country. We were shaken, we were probably kind of fearful, we were anxious, we were angry. We were really, really angry. Several days later, Pastor Scott um, um, invited me to, to go with a group of other Lake Avenue people that have been working amongst Muslims locally uh, to a prayer vigil at a local mosque. And um, I was able to go in. And when I was in there, I wore the hijab because now I had become a pro at putting it on. And I wore it inside out of respect. But once I, I walked out, I, once I got the, off of the property, I took it off and hung it around my neck. And by this time it was dark and I had to walk back to my car. And so I walked down a major street and then I had to turn and walk down another street that was narrower and darker. And I'm always really aware of my surroundings. My husband tells me I should always be careful. I'm up and about so much by myself. Um, I had my pepper spray in my purse. Um, but as I'm walking down, I, I start to feel a sinking feeling in my stomach and I look down and I was very aware of this scarf hanging down across my body. And I thought, how would a Muslim woman who has her head covered feel walking down that same dark street on that night in this country? And that thought stayed with me. It went home with me. I couldn't shake it. It was just this discomfort that led to, to kind of anger that people would be judged and treated badly because of what they look like or what they believe. Because I know, because God's word tells me that all of us are created in God's image. Brian Stevenson, a Christian attorney and author, wrote a book recently called Just Mercy. And he talks about the tragic discrepancies in our judicial system that, that affect so strongly the poorest among us, many of whom end up with life sentences or even on death row because they cannot afford proper representation. He's a great storyteller and he talks about how these interactions with these people have changed him and have, have impacted his life so deeply. He says, God calls us into proximity because when you get close, you begin to see and understand what you couldn't from a distance. In proximity, you learn things, you see the truth. And then he goes on to say, we cannot have reconciliation without this truth because there is pain and anguish behind truth that we don't know and we must know it. There is something beautifully powerful about proximity. It starts here. We must get proximate to others. Turn to your neighbor and say, we have to get closer. 
All right, proximity is critical. It's critical between, in our relationship between us and God, but it is also critical in our relationship with our neighbors. Pastor Jeff Matisich, though, told us several weeks ago that proximity is not the answer, and I agree with him. It is not. It is just the start. It's like the front door. <laughs> and from there, we get to engage more and learn more. Had I not gone to Egypt, had the Lord not taken me to Egypt, I would not have been in proximity to these beautiful women, and my heart would not have been tugged in this direction to start to care about the experience of women who walk around with their heads covered in this country. You see, that's the way it happens in my 10 years at Lake Avenue Community Foundation. I heard the story over and over and over again of tutors who who came into these relationships with their students, and they were changed. They began to see things a little differently because now they knew someone that had a very different experience. Their hearts began to change. They began to be drawn into arenas that they had never been, caring about things that never perhaps mattered before because a little tutoring could lead to a relationship that will change us. I heard a story of a tutor who said, it just started with a little tutoring and and then her mom started to cook me food and, and bring it out when I dropped her off. And then, and then I got an invitation to come in and, and sit in their tiny apartment at the dining table that was right next to the bunk beds in the living room. I guess that was also the bedroom. And then when she was 14, she asked me, um, as she was planning her quinceañera, a really big deal in the Latino community, big, huge party, like a wedding, as expensive as one. I've, I've thrown one. I don't know how we still have a house. <laughs> um, but she said she asked me to be her madrina. And a madrina is something so special. Let me tell you, it's like a very special aunt. Even if you're not blood-related, when you become a madrina or a padrino, a godmother or a godfather, you are now family forever. So it was really, shouldn't, shouldn't have been a surprise when this tutor began to care about immigration issues because she was now in a family full of immigrants. You see, proximity can lead us into these reconciling relationships. But then what does it mean to become repairers of broken walls or systems, restorers of places with dwellings or communities? STARS was actually started by a woman named Jill Shook. Some of you may know her. Uh, She was a member of our church, and she and others from our church, they went out into the neighborhood, and they said, God is calling us here, and we're going to find out what he wants to do through us. So they started talking to people, asking questions, and what they learned was in a densely populated, highly immigrant community, people, parents didn't feel like they were equipped, whether because of educational reasons or language barriers, to really support their kids. And so that's how STARS, an after-school program that's now 20 years old, began. STARS is now the, pr- the primary program of Lake Avenue Community Foundation. But as Jill entered these spaces, not only did she have to deal with educational issues, but she started to see other things. And she saw some of her family start to move away. And she heard that it's because the rents were raised. And she started to pay attention. And people were moving into this neighborhood that didn't look like the rest of the folks in the neighborhood. And they were buying houses and, and moving their families in. But sometimes they, lots of people would buy houses and then make them beautiful and then sell them for even more. And so that drove property values up, which can be good. But it also re- drove up rent. And then the poor people could not afford to stay there anymore. And this really troubled her. 
so much that she started to figure out what she needed to do about it. And I guess she probably read Isaiah 65 or something <laughs> where, where Isaiah talks about this new Jerusalem and this, this vision of a place where children can grow up and grow old and people can build houses and live in them. And so she dedicated a lot of time to thinking about affordable housing, and she eventually wrote a book called Making Housing Happen, Faith-Based Affordable Housing Models in hopes to inspire Christians and, other, and churches to really care about these places with dwellings, and particularly dwellings. You see, she was just one woman, and... All she could bring is what she had. But, you know, this love that she had, this far and wide and deep love that her father had poured on her, it just flowed out of her. She couldn't just sit there. And so this love that we see mostly as an emotion, it became an action. Reconciliation leads to the pursuit of God's justice. So how do we do this? How do we begin? Well, actually, we've, act, we've spent a lot of time as a church thinking about this. A lot of us have gotten together over the years, and we've really said, God, how? How shall we do this? And first, we want to start by listening. Uh, in Isaiah 58, in verse 10b, the English Standard Version says it like this. Satisfy the desire the desire of the afflicted. How do we know what these desires are if we don't ask? We have to ask. And next, we want to make sure that we approach people who are God's image bearers and do things in such a way that their dignity is preserved. How good does it feel when you are able to do something, whether you've had a little assistance, but you're actually able to do something yourself? That feels pretty good, right? We want to help walk with people and help them do for themselves. And then we want to approach always with humility. Yes, God is using us, but God is also growing us. We give and we receive at the same time, just like the picture on the cover of Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil's book, um, That Road, it is a two-way street. So we want to partner also with our neighbors, with other groups, with other churches that are doing work in the city and around us because we can do more for God's kingdom if we do it together. Now, Pastor Greg did share a couple of ways that we feel our church has been called into these spaces. Um, and so there's a lot of ways, whether you tutor with Lake Avenue Community Foundation or mentor, I, I promise you your life will be changed. Or you walk alongside a family that's transitioning out of homeless with Door of Hope that is really just steps away from our church. Or you go in the other direction to the Women's Pregnancy Care Clinic and you pray for unborn babies and their mommies and women of all ages that are facing the most important decision of their life, or you go over to the Walter Hoving home, or you go to Elizabeth House, or you volunteer in the public schools, there are so many ways, men's and women's prison ministry, walking alongside people who are behind the bars, and then helping to create a space so that they can be successful when they come home in the juvenile hall system with our younger people. So many ways. We... Trust me, we will connect you. And today we will have some people out in the area of prison art that are, uh, would be willing to talk to you and help you. Or you can just call the church and say, hey, I want to serve. Can you connect me with community outreach? And we'll do that. I promise. <laughs> 
You see, I believe that there is this place in each of our hearts that God has carved out or is carving out where he's calling our attention and he, he wants us to experience the similar reconciliation that we have with him with our neighbors. And he wants this, this to manifest in a community that is stronger and better because God's justice is there. I can tell you it's possible because I've seen it happen over and over in my time in ministry. I've seen people spend themselves in behalf of the hungry, and I've seen people become repairers of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. So brothers and sisters, if the statement that reconciliation that doesn't lead to the pursuit of God's justice is not reconciliation, then where does that leave us today? So I'll ask you this question. Are you truly reconciled to God? Does this reconciliation flow out of you in the ways that have been described today? Does this far and, and wide and deep love of God flow out of you and into your, on, onto your neighbors? And does it lead to God's justice for people created in his image? If your answer is yes, that is great news. And I think that God is pleased with your fast. And if it's no, or I'm not sure, or I'm not sure I'm there yet, there is still good news because our God, he wants to have this kind of relationship with you, this kind of reconciliation that changes you in these ways that we've talked about today. He wants that for all of us. His grace is plenty and it comes every single day. That is good news. Amen. So as I wrap up here, I love um, when Pastor Greg's sermons come to a close. I mean, I love how they come to a close. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor, I really meant how. <laughs> I ask you to consider these thoughts and really, really pray about them. And whatever your answer is to that question today, just remember God's reconciliation is an immense gift. And it's for me and it's for you. It's for all of us together but it's not for us to hoard. It's for us to share with the world around us and do this to his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, you have called us. It is clear to us today that you have called us to this type of reconciliation. And Lord, we lay down our lives at your feet, our bodies, our minds, our souls, our, our resources, all of it, Lord. It is all yours. And God, I pray that you would build up in us the courage to live in this way that Isaiah said loud like a trumpet, Lord, that we would be messages of your reconciliation and your justice in this world. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.